welcome to the Black and White Podcast. I'm Denise Pass, and my co-host Angela Donatio is hibernating right now, finishing up writing her second Bible study. We love you, Angela. But I have a special guest with me this month as we continue exploring finding Christ in a religious world. We've looked at how finding truth and grace play a role in understanding and coming to know God. And now in these final episodes, we will look at an incredible testimony of one who found Christ in an amazing way. The scripture for this episode is taken from Hebrews 11, verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Today, we have on the podcast Mike Neiman, who once was a professing atheist and had a radical salvation. Welcome, Mike. Thank you, Denise. It's nice to be here. Well, it is a blessing to have you here. Mike is a brother in my small group at church, and I was captivated by his testimony because of the genuine humility with which he shared his salvation story and the stark contrast his new faith was compared to the strong stance he had as an atheist beforehand. Mike, looking at the scripture today, that anyone who comes to him must believe he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him, I would first like to start with your testimony. What was your mindset before you became a Christian and when you did not believe in God? Was it that you did not believe he existed? And what led you to coming to Christ? Yeah, I didn't um, believe that he existed, basically. So I always wanted proof. Mm. It had to be proof, that it, a tangible proof that I could, you know, could see, feel, touch. And I'd always told people if, if it was all real, that he would make himself known in my mm. face type of thing. So I was constantly seeking truth, whatever people were saying, and that was <laughs> that trying to find that truth was always uh, God Lucifer. could not be an answer, right? Mm. So God couldn't be an answer. And I got a lot of answers that I wanted out of that, but I didn't get to the ultimate, you know, why the existence of everything. Mm. So tell me a little bit about how you found that. Well, one day I was on a motorcycle ride. <laughs> it was New Year's Eve, and I decided to go for a ride because it's kind of nice. And well, I never made it home. Somebody cut me off. I was going at a high high rate of speed. It was about well, fifty five. So I had forty feet to stop. And during that, uh, I knew that I wasn't going to be going much further. So when that was all said and done, I'd met Jesus. And mm. the, the very thing that I said needed to happen, well, it happened. So I met Jesus and all the darkness had to leave. So most of the, most of the lies that, that I had in, in me, most things that I thought were true were lies and mm. kind of changed everything. I had to start again. So how did you discover that those things were lies? And can you unpack for us how you, in that moment, met Jesus? Yeah, so I crashed into the side of this van you know, doing, they say approximately 35, 40 miles an hour, I pretty much knew I was dead. And at that, it's, it's kind of funny because when you sign yourself off, most people think you have a, a moment or two to, you know, mm. your life flashes in front of you. I didn't have that time. And when everything happened, I was, it was over basically. And I was in the arms of Jesus. Wow. The, uh, in the, in the, the music was playing the first course of Amazing Grace was playing. So 
that was pretty wow. wild. But I was a, a guy that liked to drink. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, he, he like a, I call it a C-section, he, <laughs> he ripped the love of alcohol out of me. <laughs> and I haven't had a drink since, right? Wow. So it's, uh, it's one of those things that he, uh, it's, he replaced it with a sickness. That whenever I think about it, I get really ill. And if I have some, which I've, I've tried out of uh, not really knowing it was there. And for three days, I was really, really sick. And so I, I stay, mm-hmm. anything made with alcohol, I don't want it. So I just stay away from it. And wow. when in the arms, what I called the light, because it was a perfect light, mm-hmm. all the darkness had to leave. So I was left with... With the idea of everything being nothing and nothing being everything, mm. everything, so nothing that I had would save me. Mm. And I never thought I was a bad person until that moment. <laughs> when you, yeah. when you, when you meet something, <laughs> kind you know, of exposed. You're, you're exposed to holiness <laughs> like that. It's, it's, um, but the the holiness and the and the, and the grace that was just it astounded me. It floored me, and. Well, it changed everything, the way I thought about everything. So I had this dart almost from ground zero, if you were, and kind of dive into this dark, dark place that I'd built for myself for 46 years. And I had to go back in there with Jesus and turn stuff around, Mm. basically. So for quite a few years, I was, (laughs) my wife wasn't so happy with me because I was, um, I was positive that I wasn't really there, right? Mm. So I was in the Catholic version of purgatory, or I was in a hospital bed as a vegetable in a vegetative state, that mm. type of deal. And everything that was happening was happening in my mind. Okay. So it's still, it, I mean, it was real because everything in your mind is it's real. Mm-hmm. It's happening. Mm-hmm. You, some people have minds that can do a lot of things, so... The my mind was there that I was I didn't make it through the crash because logically it's impossible, mm. you know. And, and and before I thought about stuff, people talking about how they had the the near death experiences, and it's just you know a scientific thing to prove this and that happened when they were doing it. And I'm like, well, they haven't been there because that was my belief before I went into that. Right. And I'm like, well, you haven't been there. You don't know what you're talking about. And and, it, and it's pretty amazing because. All, I mean, all that stuff, all, all the time that all the books, <laughs> yeah. all the books that I bought, all the books, all the knowledge that I had, mm. I, a lot of philosophy in there. I still use the philosophy, but I just use it a different way now. So when you had the accident, you're saying you felt like you were in the arms of Jesus. Did, medically, what happened to you physically in that accident? Because you're saying it really you shouldn't have been. Right. So, Okay. Physically, going into that, I should have, you know, on a motorcycle, hitting something that hard, most people that I know, yeah. they don't live. Yeah. And and logically, I knew that I wasn't going to live, mm-hmm. right? It's impossible. So this is a thought you had through your brain. I'm not going to live. That was my last yeah. thought. I'm not, I'm not making it through this one, mm-hmm. you know, and that's all I had. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, the, it's over. Lights out, party's over, mm-hmm. you know. So the, um, the, the in the end, I... Caused about five thousand dollars worth of damage to the SUV. Hit it in the uh, mm. between the front and rear doors. There's a you know kind of a reinforcement beam there. I hit that, so I hit it nice and hard. Totaled the Harley, 
and put $5,000 worth of damage by the police report, anyway, is what they say, onto the SUV. The uh, My body sustained a broken wrist, a broken nose, and a lot of cuts on my face. My helmet had failed and come off, and I broke my knee, my right knee. Mm. The uh, <laughs> the funny thing was when we looked at the, the bruising underneath my neck, we were figuring... If the helmet didn't fail, I'd probably snap my neck. And we looked wow. at the uh, the helmet and the the webbing that's all stitched together. It looks like somebody cut it with a knife, mm. you know. So that it's just everything was really weird. That should have never failed. My helmet should have never failed. And I wasn't wearing any protective gear other than a jacket because it was fifty degrees, you know. And that was nothing. There was nothing else but Jesus in between me and the vehicle. And basically, that's the damage I come away with. Mm. So you're basically you're you're really a miracle. It is a miracle what God did that day. In my opinion, it has to be a miracle. Yeah. It couldn't be anything else. Right. And so a lot of times people wonder why why does God allow something like that to happen? Why an accident, you know, and you sustain some injuries but not near of what you should have sustained. Yes. But had you not had that accident, you would not have met Christ. That's a fact. Right. I would have, I would have been going down the same road that I was I was always going down and the more stuff the the bigger the winner type of thing. <laughs> so I I I had a lot of emails and stuff back and forth with my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, about the the non-existence of her God and her Christ. And it was kind of funny cuz it was a there was a bunch of that stuff. It's philosophical and whatnot and she kept it the um I had 13 hours with a surgery because they flew me into the trauma center, try to figure out what all might be wrong. And they were putting my knee and my wrist and my face back together, basically. Mm-hmm. So at, between surgeries, I had about eight hours worth of surgery, and they brought me back in and on a morphine drip, if you will, trying to get more morphine and in and out kind of consciousness, and Don was there. And I told her that it was soft, you know, when I crashed. She's like, what do you mean it was soft? Like landing in a pillow. What do you mean? And I told her that I'd met Jesus. She's like, my Jesus? <laughs> I'm like, okay, I guess so. Wow. So <laughs> tell me a little bit about your mindset and who you were before that crash. Ooh, who I was before that crash. <laughs> I liked to drink. I was, I was sure about a lot of things, and I didn't talk about anything that I wasn't sure about. And uh, I loved my philosophy mm. and didn't want anything to do with God. Mm. Basically, if you, if if... Uh, my girlfriend at the time would wanted to go to the um, Christian store. I'd stay away. Mm. You know, I, it's just one of those things. Every once in a while, I'd, I'd do the the appeasement and go to a like a Christmas mass or something like that. You know, so that my mindset was as far, as far away as possible, and I'm more comfortable. <laughs> wow. Well, why do you think? Because I think there's plenty of people who can relate to that. What is it about that mindset that was so attractive? Like you're saying, you you wouldn't believe, you wouldn't talk about something unless you really believed it. What yeah. was it you were believing? I was believing that that I could go through life and make it happen the way I wanted it to happen, to come out the way I wanted it. It was all in my control, and there would be no no regrets, right? Mm. No regrets. And basically, the biggest one is I, I had only me to answer to. Mm. That made it really easy. You know, I didn't have to answer anybody but myself. I very, was responsible for everything. Very man-centered, very much. I'm God. Anybody, and I, I say that to everybody, everybody who who 
sets their life a certain way, sets themselves on the throne of their lives, they're they're on their own salvation project. Mm-hmm. And everybody's on their own salvation project and until they meet Jesus, then you'll find out salvation's already accomplished and you just got to believe in that. So self-salvation never works. I see people like like me would almost destroy their lives mm-hmm. for whatever it was that they were after. Wow. Uh, basically, it's like... What you what we call now idol worship? It reminds me a little bit of the testimony of Saul. You know, yeah. there he is, and and he's he accident. <laughs> he had an accident too, Oops. but he was on radical. A horse. <laughs> yeah, you know, and he was zealous. Yes, in the wrong way, and I would say you probably were too, and persecuting, and yet arose, you know, and transformed. That's that's exactly what I use a lot of times when. Uh, because him and I have a really good, uh, really good background. <laughs> he was trained in rhetoric and whatnot, so he was good at uh, the, he was good at defending his position, right? Mm-hmm. And the, that's the most important part: being good at defending your decision, so you can go out there and say, "Hey, I'm going to do this," and I have all this knowledge to back me up with it, and it's very, you know, it's irrefutable, if you will. And I felt the same way. You know, it's irrefutable, blah, 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 on down the line. And then he, you know, gets knocked off his horse and I got knocked <laughs> off mine. <Yeah>. And, <laughs> and it, it's kind of because he did his whole life was this a certain way. Yes. And then he's persecuting these people and he meets Jesus. Mm. In that moment, he meets Jesus. And, and you know, the, basically a few days later, he's out there pursuing Jesus with his whole life. Right. I mean, like no other that mm. we've ever seen, you know, just it's unbelievable the change. And, and I, I tell everybody, he's basically, he wanted to kill and then he, he was right. one being hunted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, welcome to Christianity. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, uh, many times you'll see in scripture, you're saved and let me show you what you must suffer for me. Did not yeah. Christ say that to Saul as well? Yeah. But I think, you know, you have this, part of this whole month, we've been focusing on finding Christ in a religious world. And here's Paul, and he's exceptionally religious. He's exceptionally trained in all of the doctrine, you know, and he thinks he has it. Yeah. You know, and don't so many people think we have it. And then Christ in his mercy opened his eyes that he could see, and then figuratively, literally opened his eyes, blinded him. <laughs> Let me show you what blindness is, because that's what you were. <laughs> and yeah. then he can see. And I think about you, you know. And see, God has a purpose for all of our lives. And even when I came to Christ, I professed unbelief before I believed, because yeah. I admitted it. Wow. You know, but we can get so clouded. But it's this intelligence, and even Paul, very religious, but he was missing it. Yeah. And how many people are missing it today? And I'm praying you're listening to this episode right now and you're hearing, here's one who is very intelligent, okay? So sometimes our intellect can also keep us from Christ, but we can think we understand all the philosophies, all the doctrine. That's not necessarily knowing Christ. No. The the big thing that pops into my mind is that as a guy, right, you can be as smart as you want to be mm-hmm. driving your car around, and tell everybody you're not lost, mm. right? Mm-hmm. You're lost, and you're more lost than anybody could ever be lost, but you won't admit it. Just because you don't admit it doesn't mean you're not lost. So th- yeah. that's my 
Mm. That's me and Paul, basically. Paul wasn't lost. I wasn't lost. Paul wasn't lost. Yeah. Right? And then finally, he found out the hard way he was lost. Yeah. Other people come to their senses. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> they come to their senses and they're like, oh my, I'm lost. Well, it's it's a great, uh, what's the word I want to say? The fact that we just don't even understand that we're lost. We don't even know it. Yeah. That's the uh, one of the when I do the Luke fifteen type of thing because it's the lost parables, you know, and it just it's it's so meaning to me that I spent all my life saying I wasn't lost, mm. and come to find out in one moment you're lost, 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 lost. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So since your salvation, you know, and this total change for you, and you said a few years you spent basically convinced that you actually hadn't lived, like you were somewhere in between. Yeah. So at what point did you realize, like, did it come together for you? Like, wait, I am alive. You know, God has saved me. And like, when did that come together? That's a a bad question. Why does it still come together? (laughs) That's a bad question. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's a really bad question. Because, you know, I I appease my wife and tell her it's all come together. I don't think about it as much as I used to do, right? Mm -hmm. So it was a a complete, um, because I had a lot of work to do. And it was always Christ-centered, right? So I wouldn't go anywhere without him. And I spent tons of time with him, and he spent tons of time with me trying to teach me things that I just didn't understand. So to help our listeners understand, what does that mean? How did you spend tons of time with him? Everywhere I went, I was talking with him. You know, it was always Jesus and I talking about something, Mm. and it was always a remnant of what happened in mm-hmm. in the crash, you know, that would never leave. And every time that I would doubt, right? And so if, I, if I'd start doing logic stuff again, I got this logic that it has like a double-edged sword. Every time I mm-hmm. use it, I cut myself, but I still like using <laughs> it. <laughs> so every time that I did that, he would cue Amazing Grace in my head, wow. right? So I'm sitting here for days, weeks, months, just meh. Mm-hmm. I'd start wandering down that path, and that's queued up in my head for some reason. And at night, I'd go to sleep while I'd fade off, thinking about the things, you know, and talking with him and whatnot. What am I supposed to learn out of it? I can't get it. I don't understand it. For like three years, I was sitting there because uh, it's the, the basis of it's not your time. Mm. You know, and I'm like, I, I, okay, I get it. I get it. He's like, no, Mike, it's not your time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, one day somebody in the church had mentioned that they didn't, you know, that they're trying to get people to volunteer for stuff. And everybody always had this excuse that they didn't have enough time. Mm. And bam, it's like a ton of bricks. It hit me. I'm like, hey, it's not my time. It's not mine. It's his. Oh, wow. Right? I don't own it. That's good. I don't own this time. And, and, and that's the biggest thing that hit me because when I, I kissed my wife and and said see you later in a parking lot of Lowe's I I said I'm going for a ride I'll be home in 20 minutes I never went home I never went home Mm -hmm. so it's not not your time if you think it is you're sadly mistaken well I think that's one of the hallmarks really is this humility that everything we have is Christ's and when we we have that realization then it's God, I just want to live for you. And I think a lot of times people make the mistake of a bunch of good works. Oh, that's what it means. You know, now I'm a Christian. Now I'm going to go do all these good things. <laughs> it's like those good things are things Christ does in us and through us. And it's never, ever going to be enough if it were just good works. 
you know, to gain salvation. And I think, you know, Christ even talked about the blind guides, the Pharisees who are telling people, you know, salvation is a bunch of good works. And he's like, you put the stumbling blocks, you keep people away from from Christ. And so I think when we hear a story about your radical salvation and you weren't compelled to try to earn that salvation, you knew it was a gift. Yes. Yeah, because yeah, one of the big things that, that uh, it comes up in a testimony every now and again, because I did good works mm. as, a, as an atheist. There's nothing that you couldn't tell me apart from a Christian, because I did good works too. I helped with uh, build houses for people and stuff like that. I helped with the kids on the on the uh, one of the farms in, in uh, Colorado and whatnot. We built stuff. I was a carpenter mason type of guy, so I was able to help out mm. with a lot of that stuff. And why not? If I could do it, I did it. Mm. But it wasn't, um, it was for my own glory, you know, it wasn't for the glory of anybody else. Right. And yeah. I see that a lot today that everybody's still, even in the church, they they do it for their own glory. They, they got a box to check or something. So it's a, their salvation mm. is by works, if you will. If I don't have all the boxes checked, what do I do? I don't have that box checked. Mm. But it's a lot more than that. Well, and I, I think a lot about, you know, it's haywood and stubble. I mean, if it's for us, if it's for anyone other than Christ, you know, ultimately it's His glory. Well, you know, back in college, I had to take an intermediate French literature course. I still have PTSD from that. (laughs) (laughs) It's about philosophies, and in particular, Jean-Paul Sartre and existentialism. And I struggled in that class so much. I, I hated that, you know, the first day I'm sitting in there and I see half the class walk out and I'm like, Oh, to be in that number. <laughs> but I had to stay in the class. But it was only in French that it was spoken. And they're talking about all these deep things that I barely understood in English, right? So <laughs> I feel like recording the class, you know, Lord, help me. <laughs> but it seemed odd to me that existentialists would say, I exist, therefore I am. And yet I think it takes faith to believe that they somehow got here than to take God at His word, right? I mean, you you mm. know a little bit about philosophy because you studied that pre-Christ. So, what do you think about you know atheists and existentialists sometimes saying, "I exist, therefore I am." I get stuck on some of the stuff. I, I read a lot of Nietzsche and stuff. I, so I get, I loved his work, but I'd still get stuck on because I was searching for truth. And he said, "Hey, you know, everybody who claims they have the truth is just." trying to grab power. Mm. I'm like, hey, Nietzsche, isn't that a truth that you're trying to grab power with? <laughs> uh. <laughs> so it kind of, it, it throws me for a loop. And then you see, I exist, therefore I am. No, you have to, you have to be to exist. So I don't, I don't necessarily get that as existential, but I mean, people like to use that a lot. Yeah. So it, <laughs> it takes faith to believe that they somehow got here. Yes. Every, everything in life is faith, mm-hmm. in my opinion. On this side, yes. uh, on the other side, I wouldn't. I would argue and tell you it wasn't faith. It was science, or it was this or that. Mostly, mine was philosophy. It's people have thought about it throughout the years. You know, well, how do you know? Right. Yeah. So they just make that stuff up, and you right. have to have faith. Yeah. Because I wasn't there when they're when they're talking about it to make up that decision on my own. Mm. Yeah. So you had a lot of those questions before the accident. Not really. Um, my biggest one was truth. Okay. So I always, I wanted to know. I, I'd listen to the news and I'd listen to people talk about uh, things going on in, in America. And 
I always traveled a lot, so I wanted to know what happened in the areas that I went that that I was going to. So I was always looking at any book that would tell me somebody's um, experience in those areas. Or if I go back to look at our country, I'd, I'd go back and, and look at the founders and what they were doing, what they were reading. So I was reading that too, mm. right? So I knew anybody that's blowing smoke because, no, that's not what they meant at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's where I, how I sought truth for most part. But as far as the, uh, the, the argument of God, uh, I just always pointed out to all the wars and stuff that I was stuck in the middle of. Saying, yeah, right. You know, look at these people here. That they're all blown to bits, and I'm building pieces. You know, for them to do exercises with, to train them to live their new lives the way they are. Mm. Well, it's interesting to me though that you, before the crash, you know, before that moment where you encountered Christ, you were pursuing truth, but through philosophy or through you know different means. Did you ever pursue it through Scripture? No. Okay, no. and why do you think? I've refused God as any type of answer. I thought that was a weakness. That's how people survived that didn't have the strength to live like I did. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so um, if you refused God, what was it do you think? Like I'm trying to get to what are the roots that have people who don't find, we're trying to have them find Christ in a religious world. And so you're pursuing truth, but you're saying, no, it's not going to be found in God. What Correct. what led you to that conclusion? Many, many things. Many, many things. I I like to drink and stuff like that. So I, I grew up kind of in a, in a Christian house type of deal. And I never really accepted it. I never accepted it. Mm. I didn't want much to do with it afterwards i got into drinking and that was <laughs> that was my religion then you know i could drink more than anybody else mm. the um i was good at it and <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> i was really good <laughs> and the uh the, the the whole idea of trying to you know this the whole idea of god was some type of an escape from reality in my opinion that at that time so i never wanted to pursue an escape i always wanted to try to you know you know, give me a minefield to walk across. Oh, okay. <laughs> say, yeah, it, and, and, and I like doing that. So there's a lot of stuff I listened to when I was, you know, The Doors were one of the big, big bands, and Jim Morrison was one of my heroes. So mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff Jim Morrison did, I did. Yeah. And, you know, we were kind of like brothers at a separate time, if you will. Mm. <laughs> so uh, he did a lot of the, uh, a, a lot of the um, philosophy, and he was very smart, and had a lot of good music too, by the way. The yeah. <laughs> the funny thing was, I'd, I'd started reading some of his stuff, and 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 my my uncle at the time was going to be a Catholic priest, so he was studying, and we were writing at the time. Yes, yes, I used pen and paper because they didn't have computers, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we were doing pen and papers back and forth, and I'd I'd let some Jim Morrison poetry or something flow through the uh, in a letter, and he would come across with, you know, the Christianese or, you know, scriptural type answers. But, I call it placating, but uh-huh. <laughs> I'd always turn it around and flip it. Mm. So mm-hmm. it was it was kind of funny that that whole thing played out the way it did, it, it, probably at my heaviest, drunkest times. And I was having fun. Yeah. You know, and that, that's just my life kept going that way. Mm. And my ultimate goal was to die like 
Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, wow. and Jim Morrison. Wow. I wanted, I wanted to you know, be done with life by the time I was 30. Well, you know, and that's what the enemy does. He blinds our eyes. He deceives us. And, and, and we have this, this antichrist spirit, you know, this sense of living for self. And, and even the year before I came to know Christ, someone asked me if I believed in Jesus. And I slammed my hand down the table and said, absolutely not. <laughs> I was saved a year later, you know. <laughs> but, you know <laughs> but, you know, I think it's, it, that is, we're, we're so easily deceived. And the spirit of the air is moving to blind our eyes, our hearts, from understanding our need of Christ. Well, we're going to continue next week. You know, I wanted to hear some of his testimony this week. And next week, we're going to unpack a little bit about those things that keep us from knowing Christ. And if that's you out there right now, you know, you don't want to have to go through a motorcycle accident, right, Mike? No, you don't. (laughs) Don't wait. (laughs) We want you to be able to see and understand Christ is alive. He is working in our hearts. He's able to work in yours too. And the raw truth is that if we truly seek truth in God's word, we will find it. The radical grace is God is able to take our unbelief and open our eyes to see and understand his salvation. And the real hope is God can take our stumbling blocks and make them a path to him instead. You've been listening to the Black and White Podcast, where we filter life through the Bible and live life in the freedom of truth. 